my question again, it's a post online who cares, but have you ever overpacked? Did you recently overpack? Yes. No? Yes. Yes. Did you recently overpack? Yes. Grandma just got back from the cruise, had a good time. And I just got back from Hawaii and had a good time. I was not supposed to drive home. especially as clueless, stupid American tourists getting off the train, there will be people there who will try to take advantage of you. So don't accept rides from anybody. 
Don't let anybody take your bags like they're going to, you know, concierge you to somewhere because you're, it's just all going to disappear. And so we were on guard. We were like, oh, no, 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 you know, almost like football down, down the field to people. We don't need any help. And so we walked out from the train station. There was a little sort of park area, a little square there. It wasn't very big, maybe not even a full block. It was pretty small, kind of like our town square. And we stopped there, and we looked at the map, said, I think we can figure that out. And then for like the next hour and a half, walked around, dragging these suitcases in 90-degree temperatures. It wasn't pretty. It was a terrible burden. And so the way it finally ended up was we, we had made enough of a circle that we ended up back where we started. And I looked at Karen and I said, wait here. I'm going to go find the hotel. And left all the bags there. Left her on the corner in a foreign country with like five bags. And off I went. And the hotel was like two streets over and then halfway down the block. I mean, five minute walk maybe. Once I finally figured it out, I found a couple of people who could point me in the right direction. It was awful. It was miserable. It is the point. It is the moment in our lives of travel together where we said we will never overpack like that again, ever. And we haven't. Now, we were forced into some circumstances because we had children. And there was the season of, of taking the pack and play and all of, you know, the extra snacks that needed to go on the airplane and the toys. That, so there was that. I wouldn't necessarily call that overpacking, although it was burdensome. But I think about that event sometimes. Um, I, I think to our credit, we didn't really get angry in that moment. It just was not great. It just wasn't fun. It was super miserable, and it was a little scary because as time ticked by, we didn't know how it was going to turn out. We weren't finding a solution in that hour and a half of wandering, dragging this burden around with us. And it, later in my life, as we developed this series that we're in now called The Illustrated Gospel, I remember that story and what it felt like at some point trying to drag that that suitcase material so heavy up another hill down another street around another corner where there was no hope in front of us because in those moments we were still like I have no idea where I'm going but I got to drag this thing with me I don't have anything else to do with it and I want to connect that today with a message that I've delivered a handful of times in the last 20 years. The title has changed today for practical purposes. It used to be called Bag of Bricks. Today it's called Bucket of Bricks. Same concept. And uh, I wonder if Oliver would be willing to help me in just a couple of minutes. Would you be, would you be okay with that? All right, hang out, buddy. So last week uh, I told you, uh, in this kind of series, which we kind of feel like it's kind of a topical series. We take a topic and we try to discern uh, faithfully to scriptural text what the Bible says to us about this. We try not to do 
what's called proof texting, which is to take an idea or a position I want to take, whether it's political or moral or scriptural, and, and take a single verse and just kind of say, see, everything hangs on this one verse. This because uh, you could really you can really do some damage to people operating that way. So we try to sit in a text and, and live with it. And last week we started with our core text, and then I brought some things along to kind of underpin that. Today we're going to go the opposite direction. I want to lay uh, some groundwork and then bring the central text to the theme that we want to talk about today, which is this bucket of bricks. So if you'll go with me this morning, the first place I want to go, if you've got a Bible with you or an app like I do, the first place we're going to go, I think, I'm trying to remember which order, my bookmarks sometimes don't help me. Bless you. Jason, what order? I put the first Kings is in the first order that I gave to you. Is that does that sound right? Yep, it is. Never mind. I got it. All right, First Kings chapter nineteen. First Kings chapter nineteen. Now this is this is part of one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm not going to tell the entire story because uh, uh, I love to tell the story that comes before this, and I'll keep you too long if I do that. But let me just say the, the story right before this moment happens in 1 Kings chapter 19 is the incredible tale of the prophet Elijah on the mountain with the prophets of Baal having the, the holy smackdown of whose God is true. And it's such, a, it's such a great story about faith in God and, um, and the truth of the God of the Bible and the willingness in which he will work in the lives of those who call upon him. And, and, and I love it. So that has happened, but I just want to kind of put the end cap on that story, which is this, this great battle happens, this spiritual battle plays out in physical form between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And without question in the story, Elijah comes out on top, like seriously on top. He is clearly the one who has had the benefit of being the representative of God, and God has shown himself in a, a mind-blowingly powerful way. And if you're not familiar with the story, I'm just going to tell you, go back and, and read it. It starts back in, uh, really, at the beginning of chapter 18, this this. Moral conflict happens, and the gauntlet is thrown down between the people who, who worship Baal and Elijah, who worships Jehovah, and they agree to a contest, and it plays out. And if you're not familiar with the story, I'll just encourage you, go back and read it uh, later today so that you understand just how awesome Elijah's victory was. But to try and describe that, Elijah's victory with the hand of God was total. It was complete. If you've ever competed in any kind of event, sporting event or contest, uh, something where your skills had to be put to the test 
or you were, you know, you were up against someone else competing in some way, or maybe even sometimes, whoa, I always forget that I have this on, sometimes competing with yourself, right? And when you, when you, when you win, just that, oh, that feeling, right? That's what Elijah walks away with from here. And then we find this at the beginning of chapter 19. Ahab, the guy that set up this whole conflict, told Jezebel, who was this evil ruler, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets of Baal with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now this is an interesting threat to make because the contest had just occurred between God and Baal, and God wiped the mountain with Baal. And she's going to appeal to the same God. Do you hear that? She says, you killed all my guys? Well, my God who didn't win yesterday, may he kill me if I don't come and do the same thing to you. I mean, that's, that's belief, right? But then this happens in verse 3. Then he, Elijah, was afraid. And he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, it's a nation, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And it goes on to talk about how he laid down under this tree, and God provided for him even in that moment, which is a, a, a different message that I also love to preach about how even when we're in the midst of doubt, God's not, God's not offended, like he still loves you. But think about the process that's happened here. Elijah has just witnessed this incredible miracle of God on this mountaintop. He's reaped the benefit of that. The queen, who serves the God who was just defeated, threatens him, and he runs to the mountains and hides and says, Oh, God, just kill me now. I don't know what burdens it was that Elijah was carrying with him that caused him to see the great work that God had done, and yet still come, and this is what he says, I am no better than my fathers. He's comparing himself to those in the past. He's looking at the past circumstances of his own life, the things that he's done, failures that he's had. There are, some of them are recorded in scripture, many of them not, just like our lives. You know, we could, we could tell each other of times when we felt like we didn't measure up, we didn't make the right choices, we didn't go in the right direction, whatever that might be, even in the face of this great victory, someone like Elijah can suddenly be weighed down by, if you will, the junk of his life before this moment. We read that, at least I read that, I'll speak for myself, I won't, I won't put you in my own box. I read that sometimes, and, and I feel uh, very uh, self, 
self-satisfied, where I go, look at, look at how dumb Elijah is. But it doesn't take long to realize that I'm susceptible to the same thing. I've seen God do incredible things in my life. I've seen him do incredible things in the lives of others. I've seen him respond to prayers that we've prayed together. I've seen him work miraculous circumstances where he's, he's brought provision into our lives, into our home from people who didn't know what our need was, and yet somehow the provision that he provides is, is exactly identical to, the, to what we need. I've seen the supernatural work of God as he's taken lives of friends and family that I love who, who come to Christ and, and commit themselves to him and surrender to the life of Christ and then see the miraculous work of his hand in the tapestry of their life. I've, I've watched it happen. I'm looking at some folks right now that I've watched it happen in their lives and they will share with you how God has done that work. And I've watched it. And then there are still times where I go, are you sure? Really? Because, you know, I've thought about this, or I've done that, or I said this. And those become unchecked. Those can become burdens that we carry, that God does not intend for us to carry. He's called us to a life of freedom. He's called us to a life of purpose. Second passage, I think, is Matthew 11. Nope, it's the other one. Matthew 23. Matthew 23, and he's speaking to what the, the title in here says, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders, religious people. People who, in other places, Jesus says, you should know better than to keep people out of the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be the ones who are, who, are, who are standing at the gate, welcoming people into the kingdom of God, and instead you stand there like a barrier and keep them out. And so Jesus says in verse 1, chapter 23 of Matthew, he says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and do... So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. And he's saying, what they tell you is they read to you the scripture. And Jesus says, pay attention to the scripture. Do not pay attention to what they do, because what they do doesn't line up with the scriptures. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Not only can other people project burdens onto us, could be religious leaders. Some of you in this room probably uh, come to us with some what we call religious trauma. Uh, we have some of that in our own history. It's one of the ways that Christ Community Church came together. We used to say that uh, Christ Community Church was the church for rejects. People that, that didn't fit in in other places. And often that was actually an expression of being in places where uh, modern day Pharisees were putting rules and requirements and thoughts on top of people 
that weren't really biblical. They were man-made. They didn't line up really with the truth and the freedom of life in Christ and the scripture. Sometimes, my friends, we don't need someone else to be a Pharisee in our lives. Sometimes we can be our own. We look at ourselves and place burdens on ourselves because sometimes we see the word and we don't measure up. Sometimes we place requirements and things on ourselves that God doesn't require. Sometimes we'll be unforgiving to ourselves when God is offering full grace and forgiveness. And so others can stack burdens upon us, but I think it's true that we can also stack burdens upon ourselves. And so, Oliver, come give me a hand here, buddy. I'm going to try and go over here so I don't get feedback. Whatever, whatever those bricks might be, those burdens. Shame. Why don't you go and just take, and just take a lap around. You don't have to run, but take a lap with your shame brick. Need to move over a little bit. How far do I need to go? Eh, that's problematic. Let's move the camera. Okay, all right. That wasn't too bad, was it? No? All right, can you set that right up there? And it, it might, I don't know if it's fair to say when we're young we have fewer, because I don't know, sometimes some people's lives are hard when they're young. But... Parents' expectations, church's expectations, school's expectations. Hit the road, kid. Be careful. If it's too much, put it down. Don't hurt yourself. You can always drag it if you have to. By the way, I think the last time I did this, Christopher was like 12, and he did this for me. It's pretty entertaining, because he's, uh, if you haven't met Christopher, he's nothing but a ball of energy. He thought he had it licked. Oh, my goodness, was that harder? Yes. Did you enjoy that? Um, kind of. Kind of? Okay, all right. You see where this is going, don't you? I see you eyeballing the other bucket, right? Because <laughs> this is kind of what happens in life if we're not careful. I'm going to help you with this, Okay. I don't know what's on these burdens. You, you have to know what's on your burdens that have been handed to you by others or that you've made for yourselves. Hang on, buddy. Let me help you. You ready? You going to try it? Okay. It's too much. You stop, okay? I don't need your medical bills. What's in your bucket? 
Jesus said they were like burdens placed upon your shoulders. All right, good. Stop right there. Stay right there. It's perfect. That's hard, right? Every lap around there, it's just another day in the life, right? <laughs> just set them down there. No, don't put them up. Don't put them up. Set them right there. I wish you could see his eyes right now. <laughs> right? We're not going to do much with this one. The object lesson is almost over, which I'm sure you're happy about. Something else that we kind of tend to do, you got exactly the right idea. Go ahead. They're not even all going to fit in this bucket. Because sometimes to try and manage things, we'll just rearrange our bricks. You know, if I can make them more manageable, if I can prioritize them differently, maybe if I can sort of put some of them away somewhere else. You want to give it a try? You do? You sure? Let me help. Two hands, buddy. All right, that's enough. I've seen enough. <laughs> Wait, come back and say that again. Come back here. All right. Everybody give Oliver a hand. There was the message right there. I can't even lift it up. You sure can't. And the message of the gospel is he doesn't want you to. He says he wants to carry it for you. Actually, come back. Do one more thing for me. Come here. Take this. What? What? Open that thing. Yeah, there's just a little piece of tape on there somewhere. What? That doesn't sound right. Now, if you were here last week, what's in this box right now? Right? Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. This is our text. starts in verse 28. Some of you have heard this many, many times. I hope that it becomes truth to us. Because these are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Laden, that's a burden. 
all those who carry a burden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now understand something from here. Jesus is saying, uh, in the Psalms it says, cast your burdens unto Jesus and he will, cast your burdens unto the Lord and he will care for you. I know Karen has a song going through her head right now. Cast your burdens unto Jesus and he cares for you. Cast your burdens unto Jesus he cares for you. That's what the psalmist said. Cast your burdens upon the Lord because he cares for you. Jesus follows it up with, give your burdens to me. And I will give you rest. But notice he says here, take my yoke upon you. Now that's an old school word that we don't use much today unless you happen to live in an agricultural community. Right? If you were to live uh, in a, a farm setting, and particularly if you live overseas in a place that's not a first world, modern, westernized country like ours is, you would see it. You've seen pictures of it without a question. It's the apparatus that they'll typically put around um, um, mules or ox. fits over their shoulders and goes around underneath their chest and allows those who are driving them that pulls the plow or pulls the wagon to give them direction about which way they go. And they're made out of very heavy, very sturdy timbers and steel and chain. And Jesus says, give me your burden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. But he says, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's an implication there that if we are going to take these burdens, these bricks, whatever it is that we're carrying, whatever we are laden with, and give them to Christ, it's not then taken from us so that we can just do whatever we want. He says, give your burdens to me, and I will give you a life of direction. I will put my yoke upon you to guide you, to take you where I want you to go, and that yoke will be light. It'll be easy. It, now, don't misquote me. Life is not easy as a Christian still, right? But he is not a hard taskmaster. He is graceful and loving and kind. You know as well as I do, with kindness comes both reward and sometimes discipline, right? Discipline is kindness. So don't, don't think that I'm saying that there's no cost or value to the life of Christ because there's another place where he says, take up, take up your cross daily and follow after me, right? So there's sacrifice to be made in following Christ. But is the sacrifice in following Christ uh, a, a more terrible price to pay than the sacrifice of trying to live our own lives under the burden of all this garbage that we carry? That's what he offers. Give the burden of your life to Christ and he offers in return direction and purpose.
and light. Illumination. Relief. Knowledge. Wisdom. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Self-control. Now we don't often offer an altar call here at our church. Many churches do that. That's the tradition I grew up in where we'd sing a hymn at the end of the service and offer people an opportunity to come and and make a decision for Christ. Um, You may not know, but that's only made a little over 100 years old that the church has has had that practice. It's not something that goes back into our, our ancient church history. But there are times when I think in the context of a message like this where I need to answer the question of how do I know that I'm supposed to follow Jesus if you're someone who has not yet made some sort of a decision to follow Jesus? And the best answer that I can give you is that God calls those who he wishes to follow him. And as you hear the words of this scripture today, as you hear what I hope have been faithful uh, communication about what it means and what the scripture is trying to tell us, if you sense that in your spirit, in that, that part of you where you live, that the spirit of God is speaking to you, that your life needs to take a different turn, a different direction, that you have been committed to yourself and your own terms of life, And God is calling you instead to be committed to his direction of life, to put his yoke on and allow him to guide you and to lead you. Then I would say that that is an indication that God is calling you. He draws you near to him so that you may believe. The Bible says that uh, those who are followers of Christ believe that he is the Lord God himself that he died for our sins and that he was raised again from the dead, victorious over both life and death and our sin. And the Bible also teaches that, that we, every one of us, has the same common problem, which is that our sin, that burden, separates us from God. His desire is that we be rejoined to him. And we join to him by believing in Jesus Christ and submitting to take his yoke upon our lives and live as he would have us to live. He promises us in return forgiveness. The Bible describes it in one place as a cleansing of our consciousness for our sin. He promises life that has purpose on this earth, a life that is abundant with purpose. And he promises us a glorious life together with him and the saints for all of eternity if we will believe and follow. There's no magic prayer. There's no, and this is our belief here at Christ Community Church. I know there's a thing called the sinner's prayer. It works great. Um, You can find a, a sample of that online. It really is conversation between you in your heart and God that says, I believe 
I repent of my sins. I want that forgiveness, and I want to live my life for you now and all of eternity. You make that agreement with God, and God is faithful to save you. So that's a decision between you and the Lord that maybe some of you need to make today, whether you're here in this room with us now, online, or listening to this five years from now. I don't know. But it might be that God is calling you today, and if he is, I encourage you to respond. If you do and you want to share it, come tell me because I will rejoice with you in that this morning. Amen? For those who are already believers, sometimes I just think we, we need reminded to put things in perspective because although we follow and we've enjoyed the forgiveness and the grace of God and we often understand that and we live in it, man, sometimes... Uh, the devil likes to come around and remind me about everything about my past while God's trying to tell me everything about my future. And if I give ear to that voice about my past, I tend to take on the burdens instead. And I have to come back around and be reminded, oh wait, these aren't mine to carry. There you go. And he is faithful to take them from me. So be encouraged in that this morning. Ask the worship team to come back and join us. And then, uh, as they do, I'm going to ask you this morning. Uh, my friend Sable is here. Uh, she's part of our church. Uh, met her, I don't know, how many years ago was it that we were at youth camp together? It's been a while. 2015. And uh, she's given her life to Christ. And uh, she is having some terrible, terrible health issues. Uh, transplants would be a blessing. Chemotherapy and radiation, both. Uh, lots of meds. How old are you, honey? 25. And we're going to pray for her right now. And I'm going to ask you to pray. And uh, our practice here is to absolutely submit to the sovereignty of God. We trust Him for every single thing, and we know that He is good, and we don't see all the things that he sees, but we unashamedly pray, as the Bible tells us to, that what our desires are, which is we pray for miraculous healing that God's name might be glorified. And so that's what I'm going to pray now and uh, just ask you to join me in uh, a prayer that you would lift up as well for Sable.